Today we're going to continue our sermon series entitled Everyday Battles, where we're exploring the sufficiency of Christ in the midst of the daily struggles of life. Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I'm on, am I on? Okay. Uh, my name is Justin. I serve as one of the pastors here at Christ City Church. Uh, really glad to see you. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, we've been going through a series called Everyday Battles, as Justin mentioned, uh, looking at the daily struggles we face and, and what the gospel has to say to them, what the good news is in dealing with disappointment and doubt and worry and money. And today, uh, I'm going to be talking about the everyday battle of Busyness. Not business. Busyness. And we'll be looking at, at a few parts of the Bible uh, that have something to say to this, but I want us to start here. I want you to turn to your neighbor and for a couple moments talk about this question. What do you think of when you hear the word busy? What do you think of when you hear the word busy? What images, what feelings? All right, just take a couple moments, turn to your neighbor, and go. All right, let's, let's come back together. This is always the hardest part of the sermon, is corralling you all back together. Um, what, are the, what are some of the things that you, uh, that you think of when you hear the word busy? Just shout it out. Babies. Babies. <laughs> Anyone else? Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. Yep. Deadlines. Deadlines. To-do lists. To-do lists. TPS reports. TPS reports. <laughs> Tired. Tired. Doing things, yeah. Unfocused on the things that are important. I'm going to sit down now. because Anyone else? Rewarding. Rewarding, yeah. Cop out. Cop out. Productive. Scarcity. Distracted. Scarcity. Okay. Anyone else? A um, couple, one of the pictures for me, uh, you know, I think about a full calendar, um, rushing from one thing to the next, uh, and the feeling that, I, that, that comes to mind is, is tiredness. Somebody said tiredness, uh, exhaustion, just sort of that weight um, of all the things. Uh, busyness is, is an everyday battle, um, something almost all of us have to deal with almost all of the time, and it looks different for us. Uh, you may be busy with some combination of uh, a job or, or multiple jobs, school, family, uh, kids, church commitments, trying to maintain some semblance of a social life, uh, taking care of a house or a home, making meals, buying groceries for meals, work, travel, working for social justice or, or, or just for a better world. That's all exhausting, especially when it's cumulative. And then there's vacation, if we can make space for it, but, but that needs planning too. There's rest and relaxation, maybe going for a hike or laying out or watching TV or, go, or Netflix or going to the movies. Um, there's health stuff, 
especially as you get older, doctor and dentist visits, either for yourself or for your kids, uh, appointments with specialists, trying to work out. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself wishing that either life would just calm down a little bit or that I had more hours in the day. Now, as with every sermon I preach, God usually makes me, I mean, invites me uh, <laughs> to do the work first, uh, to live the message first, to soak in the challenge and conviction first, to submit to the Spirit first. I don't think there's ever been a word uh, that didn't apply to me too, and it's gotten to the point where all I can do is laugh and thank God that He refuses to let me get away with playing at church. So let me run through this past week. Monday, I had to finish a grant proposal and a paper for a doctoral class, in addition to having a board meeting in the morning. Thursday night was the last uh, Enneagram gathering for our, this round of the, church, uh, the Christ City Seminars, so I had to prepare for that beforehand. And after the seminar, I went and played soccer. Friday and Saturday, I was in Philly with, with some folks here for a conference and also seeing some friends. Um, got back last night at 11 and was finishing up the sermon at 3.30 a.m. And interspersed throughout the whole week was working on our church budget for the coming year, uh, writing the sermon, making sure Carolyn and I were able to connect because she's also got some work travel, um, and then looking after our dog, Asher, or making sure that some of y'all were helping us look after <laughs> our dog. Now, what do you feel when I share that with you? Some of you might be thinking, thank goodness my week was less busy than that. Some of you might be thinking, that's nothing. Some of you might be feeling a little anxious, thinking about all the things that, that you need to do. And others still may have the sense uh, that I just majorly humble bragged. <laughs> now, just to make sure that we are all on the same page, I will explain what a humble brag is. <laughs> According to the Google Dictionary, it is an ostensibly modest or self-deprecating statement whose actual purpose is to draw attention to something of which one is proud. Okay? Now, I'm always convicted that my most common responses when someone asks me how I'm doing are tired and busy. Because it can be sort of a humble brag. Right? And while it may not be untrue, it can also be a deflecting answer, a way to not have to elaborate while also communicating that I'm not slacking off a way to elicit both sympathy and affirmation. Uh, an old professor of mine uh, once said, people don't need more space in their schedules because space just leads to more activities. They need a vision to compel them. People don't need more space in their schedules because space just leads to more activities. They need a vision to compel them. Think about it in terms of, of technology. You know, we thought uh, all of these time-saving devices were going to save us time. At least that's how they were sold to us. Right? This electronic what's-it is going to save you so much time that you'll be able to spend more time with your family or doing the things you love. Now, don't get me wrong. I love, I love me some technology. I'm a gadget geek. But the space I thought I may have ended up with turned out to be filled with more distractions. And now there are more of them and they're easier to access. Now, on my good days, on the days when God gets a hold of me, I'm able to stop and I'm, I'm able to ask, is this, is this what the kingdom on earth 
kingdom in my life is supposed to look like? On my good days, I'm able to answer yes. On my good days, I'm operating in the flow of the Spirit. I'm, I'm noticing God everywhere and in everything. But more often than I'd like, my busyness distracts me from the kingdom. Even when I think my busyness is working for the kingdom. Right? I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I'm busy most of the time with pastory things. Churchy things, God things, kingdom things, meeting needs, caring for folks, speaking out against injustice. But if I'm doing things for God, but not with God, we've got a problem. This is how uh, Dutch priest and author Henry Nouwen puts it. He says, in general, we are very, very busy people. We have many meetings to attend, many visits to make, many services to lead. Our calendars are filled with appointments, our days and weeks filled with engagements, and our years filled with plans and projects. There is seldom a period in which we do not know what to do. And we move through life in such a distracted way that we do not even take the time and rest to wonder if any of the things we think, say, or do are worth thinking, saying, or doing. So what are you busy with? What are you busy with? What are the things that are filling your time? What does your use of time say about what you prioritize and care about? What does your use of time say about your reality right now? Uh, some of you may know that, that both of my brothers, I have two older brothers, both of them are also pastors and I remember a few years ago when one of them, my, my eldest brother, was feeling super overwhelmed. He was feeling like he was drowning in a flood of things that needed doing. And what he did uh, was a time audit. So he went through the list of things he had to do. He went through how he was spending his time. And he realized that he'd been trying to pack something like 90 hours of work into a 50 hours a week. Which kind of explains why he didn't feel like he was getting rest why he felt like he was always behind, why he felt like he didn't have the time or space or margin to connect with his family. So, so let me offer that just very simply as a spiritual practice for you. Take some time. And I know that may be challenging when you already feel like time is at a premium, but try to figure out what you're doing with your time. There may be some things you can or should stop doing or things you can do, be doing less of. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying if you're busy, the answer is just stop, okay? We were made to work. We were made to create. We were made to partner with God in the flow of the Spirit to see the kingdom come. We weren't made to sit on our hands or to rest on our laurels or to veg out. I don't think that busyness in and of itself is a bad thing, but... There are also probably things that we are doing with our time or that we're spending too much time on that are actually exacerbating our feeling of being out of control rather than contributing to a life that is a signpost of God's kingdom. And in fact, maybe naming and identifying those things may help us become aware of other things that need dealing with. For example, uh, when I get real busy and, and my to-do list gets overwhelming, it's very easy for me to tip from an energized, motivated, you know, I, I love the variety of things that I get to do, into an overwhelmed, throw my hands up, I don't want to do anything because there's so much to do. Except veg out and play games on my phone 
or seek out a new Netflix show to binge. Now, a little blowing off steam can be helpful, therapeutic even. But if I'm honest with you, I know in my heart when I'm not stewarding God's time very well. Maybe you do too. And so understanding, understanding that there are things in our lives that seem pretty immovable. Financial realities, for instance, bills got to get paid. What are the things in our lives, and I think we all have them, that are actually more like crutches we've been leaning on for so long that we've forgotten how to walk upright? What are you busy with? Last week, Andrea preached about uh, the everyday battle of worry. She mentioned Martha, the sister of Mary, uh, in this encounter in Luke 10 where Jesus is visiting them and and Martha's busy preparing a meal for Jesus and his disciples um, and, uh, you know, and whoever was tagging along with them. You know, that's a big operation. There's at least 13 of them. But but Martha, she's, she's managing the household like a boss, Right? What what does Luke tell us? Luke 10, verse 40. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by by myself? Tell her to to help me. Now, there's a little bit of passive aggression going on there, uh, a little bit of triangulation, uh, maybe even a little bit of humble bragging, right? There's, there's, that's, a, that's sort of her way of saying, I'm tired and I'm busy and I could use some help, but look at all of the things that I'm doing all by myself. The story of Martha offers at least one answer to the question I want to pose, which is, after what are you busy with, what, is, what does busyness do to you? What is busyness doing to you? See, in addition to busyness making us tired, which can lead to us making more mistakes or being more forgetful, it's hard to keep all your thoughts in the right place sometimes. But what does the text say? Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Distracted from what? From whom? Jesus was right there. Jesus. God incarnate, the most human of us all, was right there, and she was busy and distracted by her many tasks. Martha was so busy and distracted that she missed what was right in front of her. Who was right in front of her? Busyness can distract us from noticing recognizing, being with, communing with, listening to, learning from Jesus, God with us. A couple weeks ago, uh, I was in Chicago for a retreat, and part of it was an afternoon of of solitude and space to pray and reflect and meditate and journal, and and I had a few things on my mind and my heart, so I was really looking forward to it. Uh, Now, one of the things that I'll often do when I'm I'm on a retreat is look back at what, what God has said in previous months. And so I was flipping through uh, my journal from last fall, uh, August, October. And um, what I found there in reading through was that God had already told me the things I needed to know now. Six months ago, eight months ago, God had told me the things I needed to know. 
right now. And I had heard them. And I'd written them down. But what busyness did was it kept me from digesting them. From processing them. From allowing them to make a difference in my life. You know, repentance, that word repentance, it isn't just a mental change, though it is changing your mind about something. It's turning and walking a different path. In my busyness, I settled for hearing God and making note of it. And hey, those things are, are, are things to be thankful for, but I didn't do the work. I let God's words comfort me, but I didn't let them challenge me. I didn't sit with them long enough to let them change me. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 139, the song of self-examination. You may know it. It starts like this. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. And, and this is how it ends. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's beautiful. But let me ask you this, how often do you actually let God search you and tell you what he finds? How often do you slow down enough to listen to God and maybe, maybe be told about the wicked ways that are in you, that are in us all? That maybe we're not walking the path everlasting right now. We like to think we can do that unconsciously, right? As if, you know, I don't have to think about it. I'm like, I'm, I'm good. And I trust the Spirit holding us in His, in his hands, but sometimes we've got to ask these questions. We've got to submit ourselves to these questions. Now, like I said, I, I don't think that busyness itself is the problem. I think of busyness as a description of external activity. I think the problem goes deeper than that. I think the problem is actually hurry, a condition of the soul. This is how Dallas, what Dallas Willard would say. Jesus was always busy, but he was never in a hurry. Jesus was always busy, but he was never in a hurry. He always had things to do, right? People to heal. Demons to cast out, messages to preach, kingdom to inaugurate, injustice to challenge. Jesus had stuff to do. He had important stuff, life and death stuff, soul-saving, world-changing stuff, but he was never in a hurry. He never had an anxious condition of the soul. I think the bigger problem is hurry. See, Jesus shows us you can be busy without being in a hurry. Just because you're going from meeting to meeting or job to job or class to class or, or kids event to kids event does not mean that you have to have an anxious spirit. And we'll talk more about that in a second. But here's the thing. You can also have nothing on your schedule and still have a hurried soul. Right? Just because you have nothing on your schedule does not mean you are resting in the peace of God. Anybody ever been on vacation and you can't stop yourself thinking about all the things you need to do when you get back or all the things that you're missing out on or whether so-and-so that you left in charge of such and such is going to screw it up while you're gone? Hurry 
often precludes us, prohibits us, keeps us from knowing rest. Not just bodily rest, although sometimes our hurried spirits and our hurried minds can keep us and prevent us from getting bodily rest. Not just emotional rest, although when our hurried selves don't ever think we're safe enough to let our guard down, we may lose that emotional rest. But rest in our souls where we know, where we think and feel and believe and trust and act as if we are in a world made by the creator of the heavens and the earth. As if we are indwelled by the spirit of that creator. As if we are rescued and redeemed and loved and valued and protected and sustained and held up and covered up and lifted up by that same Father, Son, and Spirit. Hurry, the anxious condition of a soul, can keep us from that kind of rest. You know, psychologists have coined the term hurry sickness. Hurry sickness, this is how it's defined. A behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. This is a psychological condition, y'all. Here's another definition. A malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Anybody? Here, maybe this will help. Some symptoms of hurry sickness. When you're in the grocery store, moving from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter or faster. Now, I'm going to contextualize this because this was written before we had self-checkout lines. Jumping into the self-checkout line because you don't want to wait. When you're driving and you're counting the cars in front of you and either getting in the line that has the least car num number of cars or is going the fastest. Here's another one. Multitasking to the point of forgetting one of the tasks. I just thought this was normal. But nope, apparently it's a psychological condition. We can start a support group. We'll call it church. But, but let's dig a little more first. Hurry is at its root usually a subconscious trust, an overconfidence in ourselves. It's a subconscious belief or a belief which we can infer from our actions that, as Andrea talked about last week, it's all on us. And as such, hurry should be an indicator light that something might not be right in our soul. Here's another way of putting it. Hurry is not just a disordered schedule. It's a disordered heart rooted in disordered desires. This is what author Richard Foster says. Hurry destroys our souls and keeps us from living well. It isn't of the devil. It is the devil. Now, I know some of you are thinking, hurry? Really? Surely there are more evil things, more devilish things. Now, I just got back from a conference where we were talking about white supremacy and all of its insidious roots. But, but hurry? Okay, so point number one, this is hyperbole. But here's why hurry is so insidious. It's because we think it's okay. Or it's just normal. Or it's just part of life. That when, when what it does is, according to Eugene Peterson, it diminishes our capacity to love. Okay, Hurry diminishes our capacity to love. Love, you see, takes time and attention. And what do people in a hurry not have a lot of? 
time and attention. So let me, let me draw this out a little bit. What did Jesus say were the greatest commandments? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what's the common verb there? Here, we can go to the next slide in case it's hard. <laughs> what does love involve? Time and attention, which is what people in a hurry don't have. Ergo, hurry, this anxious spiritual condition, this sickness of the soul, this frantic inner frenzy destroys our souls, it diminishes our capacity to love, it distracts us from the most important things, and it actually hampers our growth and maturation in faith. There's a reason why hurry doesn't sit well with our souls, because we weren't meant to live hurried lives. And yet, and yet, hurry and busyness are two of the characteristics of our city. Somebody said, D.C., and I would venture to say that hurry is actually one of the idols of our culture, an over-self-confidence, an inability to let God be God in our lives. In other people's lives, sure, you need to chill, you need to rest, you need to let God do what God's going to do. But in my life, i got to do some stuff. So now what? Well, I want to I try something. Um, I want to try an exercise with you guys. It's called imaginative prayer. Now, our imagination, you see, it's not just about make-believe. Our imagination is how we make sense of the world. When you think about what you're going to do for lunch, that's your imagination. When you think about a romantic partner or a dear friend and you wonder what they're doing, that's, that's your imagination. When you process events and experiences, that's your imagination. When you deal with doubt and fear and anxiety, that's your imagination at work. Our imaginations are how we make sense of the world, and they're given to us by God, so why not use them to tune into what we believe is actual reality instead of making ourselves more anxious? So, so here's how we're, we're going to do this. Are you okay trying this with me? All right. So I want you to sit up and sit, get into a comfortable position. You can, you can close your eyes if you want to. You can uh, keep them open if you want. Um, but if, you, if you're keeping your eyes open, just sort of, sort of focus uh, loosely on a, on a spot in front of you. I want you to start by taking a deep breath in and holding it for a second and then letting it out. A deep breath in, hold it for a second, and let it out. One more time. Deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And let it out. Now I want you to put one hand on your chest. The heart center, the symbolic core of, of your being, of your feelings. And I want you to let the things that are on your heart and on your mind rise to the surface. It may be busyness. It may be hurry, or maybe something completely unrelated, just whatever you're working on right now, whatever the Spirit brings up. Now, I want you to imagine that Jesus is sitting in front of you. 
And he's looking you in the eyes. This ain't make-believe. Jesus is in the room. He's looking you in the eyes. His eyes of love, his eyes of compassion, his eyes that aren't judging. His eyes that see you, that see what you've been through this week or this month. That see the things that have risen to the surface because he knows them. Now I want you to place your other hand on top of the first hand. And I want you to imagine that that's Jesus putting his hand on yours as he looks you in the eye and he says, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And in case you didn't hear that, let me say that again for the people in the back. Hear the words of Jesus Christ. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Or from the message, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. Let it out. And one more time, deep breath in. Hold it for a second. Let it out. Let's gently come back to this space. Those are the words of Jesus, speaking the promises of Jesus, extending the invitation to us of life with Jesus, life in the kingdom. Jesus is the one with whom we were meant to live. Jesus is the one from whom we were meant to learn. This is Jesus' answer to hurry to the anxious soul, and, and frankly, to any system or structure, religious or otherwise, that tells us we have to perform in order to have value, in order to have worth, in order to be loved. Jesus says, come learn the unforced rhythms of grace, grace from me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn to live freely and lightly. Find rest for your souls. But, but I, don't, I don't want us to miss this. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Now, he's using a metaphor that would have been very familiar to his listeners of a farming tool in which two oxen would be paired together to do work, to plow a field, for example. But it wasn't usually two oxen of the same size. It was usually one big ox and one tiny one. One strong, developed one and one young, growing, learning one. One of the two would carry the load while the other was learning and being carried along. 
You see in the image that Jesus is describing. You see the, the invitation that Jesus is offering. This is what Dallas Willard says. To be in the yoke with Christ is to pull his load with him. What is this load? It, it's to bring the reign of God into ordinary human life. That's why he came the way he did, lived the way he did, died the way he did. In the midst of a world of ordinary human life, he was pulling the load of bringing the kingdom of God into ordinary human life. That was his message, and his message was to everyone. The easy yoke is to lay aside your projects and mine and to take up God's projects. As long as we are pursuing our own projects, it will feel like a grind, like there's something still not quite there. But when we step into the flow of the Spirit, when we partner with God and what He's already doing, He's doing the work. We get to be a part of it. Sound familiar? Right? Seek first the kingdom of God. It's like Jesus is trying to get a point across or something. You know, there's so much more I, I could pull out of this passage than I, than I have time for this morning. So what I want to do is just make one observation from the passage and offer one practice for you to take into your everyday battles with busyness and hurry. The observation actually stems from the verse that comes immediately before this life-giving invitation. Matthew eleven twenty-seven, where Jesus is praying to his Father and he says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The easy yoke, life in the kingdom, learning to live as Jesus would if he were in our place, all of that is only possible initially because of the deep relational connection between the Father and the Son. And it's only possible for us if we likewise pursue a deep relational connection with God. This is the secret, and it isn't really a secret because it's there, of Jesus' peace and his grace, and his holiness, and his patience, and his anger at injustice, his willingness to speak up at certain moments, his love for his enemies, his practice of nonviolence, it all came out of a deep relational connection with his Father, with the God who is love. Jesus was grounded and rooted in every moment in a reality in which God was present and at work. Therefore, he had no need to hurry. And so the practice I want to propose for this week is simply to notice, which is not too dissimilar from Andrea's last week. The practice she suggested to combat worrying was taken from Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, to look at the birds and consider the lilies. In other words, stop and smell the roses. Notice, pay attention. Uh, somebody uh, said this to me once. I don't remember who it was. One of, the greatest obstacles is spiritual to, one of the greatest obstacles to spiritual transformation is becoming so busy and hurried that we stop noticing. Eugene Peterson explains why. You can't grow if you don't notice, and you can't notice if you don't slow down. So slow down and notice. But the specific thing I want to encourage you to notice, to pay attention to this week, is God with you. Whether you're busy or not. Whether you feel like you're engaged in meaningful labor or not. Whether you have a full schedule or not. Recognizing God's presence, tuning yourself into God's presence, becoming aware of the God with you, uh, be, becoming aware of God with you is the antidote to hurry and, and indeed uh, to sin. 
I don't know about you, but it's when I forget that God is with me, in me, that I tend to sin. Jesuit priest Jean-Pierre de Cossard wrote a book called The Sacrament of the Present Moment, The Sacredness of Right Now. And why is right now, the present moment, sacred? Because God is here, now, in the present with us. Uh, I recently learned about a study done by neuroscientists at the University of Toronto that explored how humans process their present moments, their right now moments. And they discovered that humans uh, have two brain networks, two brain networks for processing our experiences. One is called the default network. It's in charge of narrative, of giving meaning to things, of connecting people and times and events. It's a good network. It's unsurprisingly our default network. It's mostly in operation as long as we're awake. But there's another brain network called the direct experience network. And when this network is turned on, you're not thinking about the past or the future or connections or meanings or narrative or to-dos. Those things are important. But when this network is turned on, your bodily sensations are heightened. Your amygdala, which is your fear center, actually shrinks. And you experience the present moment in the present moment. Not just looking back at what just happened, but actually being present. And we can engage this network, but it takes some intentionality. See, to trigger this network, to engage in the present, somewhat intuitively, we have to focus on something that's present. For example, God. <coughs> but, but sometimes God can seem really abstract to us. Right, an, an ethereal figure, a vague notion somewhere in the heavens. But there's something that God has given us that can be a useful aid. Our breath. Breathing is something that happens in real time. It's rhythmic. It's regular. And we don't have to try too hard to keep it going. So that's convenient. Now, Before you think I'm straying too far from the Bible, let me come back with this. In both the Old and New Testament, in the Hebrew and Greek, the word for breath is the same as the word for spirit. Ruach in Hebrew. Pneuma in Greek. Listen, we are bodily creatures. Just as Christ was a bodily creature. We have the breath of life, the Spirit of God in us. Who knows but that maybe God gave us a respiratory system that when healthy functions without us doing anything to remind us of His breath, His Spirit that lives in us. And so I want to I close with a practice that I, I hope you'll be able to take with you into this week to combat the everyday battle of busyness and hurry. And honestly, just life, whatever you're going through, it's uh, fairly helpful to remember that God is with you. So, uh, but before I, I, I do that, to frame it another way, let me first share this quote from Thomas Merton. He says, prayer must penetrate and enliven every department of our life including that which is most temporal and transient. Prayer does not despise even the seemingly lowliest aspects of humanity's temporal existence. It spiritualizes all of them. 
and gives them a divine orientation. If God is with us all the time, that's got to mean something. And so again, I want us to, to start in a similar way to what we did before, to just take a deep breath and hold it for a moment, let it out. Again, you can have your eyes open or your eyes closed. Take a deep breath, hold it for a moment, and let it out. And just for a moment, follow that breath as it comes in. And as it's let out. And I want you to think about the breath as a guide, a signpost, an indicator of the Spirit. Ruach. Numa. God is closer to us than the air we breathe. As you're breathing in, breathing out. The God of love is closer to you than the blood that flows through your veins, is more foundational to you than the DNA that forms your cells. The creator of the heavens and earth Revealed in our gracious Lord Jesus Christ who carries the weight of the yoke and yet invites us into the world-changing, history-making, ordinary work of the kingdom. Emmanuel is with us, with you. Every moment of every day, we just forget sometimes. Let me close with this poem by Ted Loder. Now, O Lord, calm me into a quietness that heals and listens and molds my longings and passions, my wounds and wonderings into a more holy and human shape. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.